Payback Time is a podcast about building businesses, wealth, and financial freedom. We try to uncover the challenges our guests faced, the mistakes they made, and the steps they took to achieve their goals. The overall objective is to provide you with a roadmap that leads to your own success. Sean Tepper is your host. Are you ready? It's Payback Time. My next guest is a cardiologist who decided to create passive income through real estate investing. Eventually, his side hustle started generating enough cash flow that he was able to retire from his medical career. Now, today, he owns a real estate investment firm that allows you to generate passive income. In this episode, he breaks down how to generate $500 or more passive income per month. Please welcome Vic Raya. Vic, welcome to the show. Hey, Sean. Good to be here, buddy. Yeah, good to have you. So why don't you kick us off and tell us about your background? Yeah, absolutely. I was, you know, trained and and my whole thought process in life was, hey, you know, I really need to be a doctor. And it's almost a cliche, right? Uh, an Indian person trying to become a doctor. But I had it was actually the first one in my family. I had a lot of people in my family have heart attacks. And I was like, all right, I got to study this. I got to learn this. The interesting thing was once I became a doctor, I realized that the financial part is not a given. And like, the financial education I received in in medical mm-hmm. school was next to nothing. Not only not how, not how to run a business, but you know how to run my financial life. And so I started reaching out to others and and you know mentors and reading books. And I realized, hey, maybe investing could be the way mm-hmm. to go. And you know, I tried options investing, and um, you know, I did it the wrong way. I did it where as a you know a smart person, you think, hey. If I know medicine, obviously I know stocks. Of course. <laughs> it's a no-brainer. <laughs> and I got my my butt handed to me in options, right? And then I was like, sure. all right. After I was a little bit humbled, I'm like, all right, let me try something. Not that options was right or wrong. It's just the way sure. I approached it was probably not the right way to go. So then I was like, all right, maybe I need to just take it one step lower. I'm like, all right, I know I know a lot of people who, who don't know, even know English and they're crushing in real estate. Let me do real estate. Yes. And so I learned about real estate um, while I was practicing. And the reason why I want to do that is because I didn't want all my income coming from one source. I also didn't want to um, just have like my, no freedom. Like essentially, like if my practice decided to say something or do something, I was obligated to do whatever they said because I was reliant on that. And so I just thought it would make sense to, you know, grow other revenue streams. And also, you know, I have kids, you know, I have other dreams and ambitions and I wanted Mm -hmm. to just have space, you know, and I I think, you know, stock investing, real estate investing, investing in general is such a smart use of your knowledge and time because it will pay back dividends, you know? And so with that said, I was like, all right, I I need to learn that. So I tried um, single family investing and that was really successful. And then I moved on to multifamily investing, which is buying like small apartment buildings. And I was really enjoying what I was doing. And I noticed other friends or family, especially other doctors like, Hey, what are you doing there? Can you, can you help me out? And one thing led to another. And I started a company called Viking Capital. And now we serve high income professionals and and investors all over the country in buying uh, commercial real estate so they can create passive income. I love your background here. You would be, I think the second, maybe the second or third doctor who is transitioned to uh, investing in some way, shape, or form. So now, are you still a doctor? I'll ask that question first. Sure. Um, I have, uh, the last time I fully, fully practiced was in 2020 during the the pandemic when I was running my uh, my clinic. But um, I really 
sort of like when your side hustle becomes better than your main hustle, it makes you ponder and reflect a little bit. And sure. so I, I, I sort of what, what I've done now is uh, during the pandemic, it was it was crisis and it was opportunity. Right. That's what mm-hmm. that there's a Chinese character yeah. for that. And uh, what I found was uh, doctors all over the country were looking for help in trying to figure things out. They were like, hey, I want to I'm, I'm scared about my practice. I'm scared of my hospital. I'm scared of my clinic. Uh, they're also looking for business um, acumen and mindset and consulting and coaching, if you will. And the thing is, everything out there is all geared toward the traditional entrepreneur or business owner and nothing were for the physicianpreneur, if you will, or the doctorpreneur. Sure. And so I sort of stepped into the role of being sort of a high performance coach and um, a consultant for these doctors. And then on top of that, I've doubled down in my real estate business and really brilliant, technically um, been able to retire from medicine um, at the age of 40. So it was nice. That is awesome. Congratulations. So let's dive in a little bit since we've got a lot of uh, retail investors in the stock markets on this podcast, you know, they do like to learn about other ways they can create passive income. So let's break that down a little bit. How would somebody get started if they wanted to, let's say, hire you as a coach or a consultant to help them get started? Yeah, absolutely, Sean. I I think, you know, the concept is you have an amazing tribe of listeners here uh, on the podcast. And what they've done is they've taken their earned income, which they've worked uh, really hard for. And with intelligence, they started investing and they've created a portfolio, maybe portfolio income. Another form of income could be passive income, and that can happen through real estate. And I really think it's, um, I think the stocks and real estate, if you do use them together, it's such a synergy versus just using one or the other. And I'm trying to, and I'm, you know, I'm getting coaching consulting from you, Sean. I'm learning about how to learn and get back into the stock market game because I feel like, yeah, it's great to have all the, you know, the real estate, but, you know, it'd be great to get all the dividends or the options or the the recurring income I can get with stocks as well. So the way I see it is, Initially, you want to start passive. And at some point, if you want to become active, that's great. But for now, mm-hmm. you already have, I'm assuming, a job of some sort and you start. You have a portfolio in the stock market. Maybe you want to invest in passive income. And there's several flavors to that. Um, yeah. There's uh, in commercial real estate, there's you know self-storage, there's apartments, there is uh, industrial, you know, office, commercial, retail. There's all these different, mm-hmm. I guess, buckets. And you just want to figure out what makes the most sense. I'm risk averse. I'm a cardiologist and I like to stress test everything, Sean. And what I found was of all the asset classes out there, I felt multifamily is the safest. Sure. And sure. the reason why is everyone needs a place to live. It's not a luxury, it's a need. And so, you know, what we found is in the last 70 years, in all the market cycles, there are small periods of contraction and large periods of expansion in the real estate market and specifically multifamily. Rent has been going up every year since the end of World War II, which is that's 72 years of rent growth. So I really am bullish on this. And as long as you have the capability to have a longer time horizon, meaning if you're needing something in three months, six months, nine months, maybe it's not the right vehicle, but if you can hold for at least a couple of years, you will mm-hmm. find the right time to buy and sell and you will be profitable. Right on. I, I was actually doing a stock review of a company called Cavco, which builds um, mobile homes, which aren't too glamorous, but they build module homes, which think of them like part of homes built in a factory. They deliver yeah. them on site and they can build them really fast. You can build homes really quickly. Given your home isn't going to be custom, it's going to look like the other homes in the neighborhood, but you've got the the pre-wiring and the tech and the smart home tech all there. The reason is I'm paying attention to that type of home and the renting industry 
a lot because I don't have the exact statistics, but you'd probably have a little more knowledge here than myself. But 2008, home building slowed down. But one thing that did not slow down is people making more people. So yes. where are people going to live? <laughs> yeah. Right. It, that's why renting is the primary yeah. option and rent keeps going up. And, and and Sean, like, you know, let's say we are going through this, um, you know, if you want to call it a recession, a correction, a pullback of some sort, you know, the stock market was treading in some bearish territory. Mm-hmm. But overall, I still think it's this is if you're wise, you're looking for this as finally, hey, finally, I have a buying opportunity. Yes. Right. Or yes. uh, if you're looking at this um, in terms of rent growth. I can't afford to buy a home. Interest rates are really high and, you know, there's not that much supply. So it's really expensive still even now to buy a home. Right. That being the case, most people will still rent, you know, and um, that's it. And, and then during the pandemic, a lot of households, there was shrinkage of households because people, you know, went back to live with their parents. Everyone started bunking up. And now that that's reversed. And now there's a bunch of households being created, you know, and mm-hmm. so if people are not going to buy a home, they're going to rent. And that's so- it. That underlying premise is why, you know, I think we've done well as a company and we've chosen within the United States, I've chosen the Sunbelt as a place to invest because that's the net migration. That's where jobs are going. That's where the uh, employment is going. And so if you use these uh, metrics when you're um, becoming a passive investor, you'll be successful. Similar to what you teach in your program and ticker Mm -hmm. as well that you, you, it's that it's science. It's not hearsay. It's not Right. It's not like a right. uh, gut feeling. It's exactly. Hey, look, this is what the you're a fundamental investor, and that's what I recommend for real estate investing. Nice. So let's dive into your your business model a little bit. So you mentioned multifamily is your focus, correct? That's right. And and how many units are we talking? Like four units, eight units, more? Yeah. So uh, I started, uh, you know, when I was just uh, me and my business partner when we were first going starting out. We had maybe two, four, six kind of thing. We've gradually progressed. And the largest acquisition we've done is about 400 units. Oh, wow. Okay. Where we bought a, um, you know, a huge, you know, these are large apartment complexes with, you know, on-site property management, things like that. Nice. Okay. So if an investor, if a listener wants to get started in something like this, do they need to be accredited or, or is it really open to anybody? So uh, we have options for both accredited and non-accredited investors, you know, okay. in, in our company. Um, and so if they want to find out more, it's vikingmultifamily.com is our website. But yeah. really the premise is whether it's us or someone else, um, there are ways to get involved, even if you have $5,000. And, and the, the reason why I say that is uh, the, it's, it's, it's just, it's just got to start. And you, you got to learn as much as the key number one is empowerment education. So read as much as you can learn about whatever mm-hmm. uh, asset class you're trying to get into and then start small and, and then keep an eye on that and see how that does. And if, sure. and if you find that to be successful, then you can obviously increase as you invest. Uh, so the ways to invest in other companies, are things like Fundrise and uh, yes. Yield Street and other uh, and CityVest where you can small invest smaller amounts in larger projects. When you work with people like me, um, we're called syndicators or sponsors. Usually you're straight to us, like versus those guys are in intermediary. And so if you're coming right to us, usually 25,000 is the minimum investment. And and usually 50 is an ideal size for us. Obviously it goes up higher than that afterward. But what happens then is um, the returns you're going to get are, I'll give an example. We have a fund right now. And we, we have three sets of returns. There's a class A investor that gets a straight 10% return. And they don't participate in the upside, but they get nice that 10% coupon, which is really powerful. Uh, class B investor gets a 7% return and they get a 70-30 split. What that means is any uh, 
profit on after the 7%, they get that 70% they get and 30% we as the sponsors get. And then on sale, they get 70% of the profits and then we get 30%. And so it comes out to, a, if you use the word equity multiple, all equity multiple, all that means is let's say I invested $100,000 and I got 200,000 back at the end of the investment. That's what we call a 2X equity multiple. Essentially, how many times double did you invest in initial investment go through? So the class B investor I was just mentioning, which gets the 7% and the 70-30 split, uh, we're trying to target about a 1.8 to 2X multiple for them in three to five years. Nice. And then um, there's a last class of investors. Uh, as we're starting to get well-known in the industry, we've been attracting higher amounts of capital. And so we have something called Viking Reserve, and they invest about a million dollars. And in return, they get an 8% pref return and an 80-20 split. So they get the best returns we can ever give. And they're getting about a 2.2x multiple. Nice. Okay. So to use the nice round number, let's say 50 grand, somebody went in and they're getting 10%. Is that 10% like I'm looking at, um, you know, 50 grand, 10%, yeah. 5,000. So 5, 5K per year. 5K per year. Got it. Okay. That's where yeah. I was going. So you break that out per month. And we pay monthly. So we pay monthly. So it's almost like a you know, it's like a check coming that's, in. That's that's where I'm going. So you can run yeah. a simple math. What is that? About yeah. four, four hundred some dollars per month? Yeah. 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 Something like that. And the other cool thing that, you know, this is why, like, if you invest in stocks, you may want to take advantage of some of the real estate as well. Is mm-hmm. let's say you invest a hundred thousand um, dollars. I'm probably able to give you a, a write off about ninety thousand dollars year one. So that bonus depreciation cost of that write off is a real estate yeah. loophole for taxes that the government willingly gives you because they like people investing in real estate. And so that can offset passive gains anywhere. And that's why I really like that. Yeah, that's that's another reason why I really like real estate is let's say you run into a situation where you you sell a home or you sell another property, you're going to have to face capital gains. But if you can go back into real estate, that's a shelter, you know, something like you that would work. And then I think a lot of businesses out there like entrepreneurs, let's say you sell a business and you've got two, three, five, 10 million coming your way. Well, you don't want to pay 40 to 50% capital gains tax in the U S right. Right. Right? So they could go to you and be like, okay, the million dollar fund, your, your premium fund, you just mentioned, you can start putting money in there and that's, that's sheltering that tax. Absolutely. And I've had it where we've had some really big exits and when Mm -hmm. the market is correcting, like it is now I've had people take their stock returns now. And I mean, their their real estate returns and put in the market now because they're trying to take advantage Mm -hmm. of it's like arbitrage. Where is opportunities in real estate? Great. Is it in stocks? Great. But be aware. And obviously at the beginning, you want to learn one thing and learn it well, but over time, if you can understand a couple of different, I guess, asset classes, you can, I use the velocity of money to go back and forth. Yes. Yes. Smart. I'm curious, how many of the, you mentioned the 400 unit large complex, how many other projects like that have you? We've done 26 projects like that uh, all over the country. We have about $650 million of real estate we've transacted upon. And um, yeah, the goal is to do about six of these a year, like between 200 to 400 units. We do six or six. Right now we're on track to do about six this year. And um, and it's really just because we've built up a team and we go all around the country and we're looking for opportunities. Like you look for opportunities in stocks, mm-hmm. you know, and you, and you see when things are oversold and you see when sure. people have sold based on fear and emotion and not based on the fundamentals. This is what we do too. And then 
the thing we go in is we go in and, and buy these assets and we do a couple of different things. We improve the interiors, we improve the exteriors, we rebadge it, yeah. we rebrand it, we improve the uh, the tenant profile mm-hmm. uh, and raise the tenant profile. And uh, even operations, we use things like artificial intelligence to help mm-hmm. um, with the leasing uh, algorithm. And all of this in a short amount of time creates uh, what we call forced appreciation. So because of our our money invested that we're in, in these assets, plus our strategies, we're forcing the rents up uh, because of, of the improvements. And then the, on top of that, we have organic appreciation because we're buying in Atlanta, sure. in Phoenix, in Tampa, where there's tons of jobs, tons of growth, low supply, high demand, and then there's an organic bump. And so you mm-hmm. combine the forced appreciation with the organic appreciation, and then you have a winning formula. Nice. Let's take a quick commercial break. Hey, this is Sean. I just want to say thanks a lot for checking out this podcast. I know there's a lot of other podcasts you could be listening to, so thanks for checking out this one. Could you do me a quick favor? If you haven't done so already, could you leave us a five-star rating on either Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, or any other platform you use to listen to podcasts? What this will do is help us rank higher in the uh, podcast search engines, you could say. So that would be much appreciated. Also, if there are any questions you want me to ask the guests or a specific topic you want me to address, please go to our ticker Facebook group. You can leave a comment there and I'd love to hear what you have to say. All right, back to the show. Now you mentioned location. Location is hot. You mentioned the Sun Belt. I'd like to dive in a little deeper. Um, I will say a city that's west of Milwaukee is Madison. Madison has experienced a ton of growth. You know, of course, the university, a lot of students coming there, but then a lot of new businesses, a lot of tech businesses, and you got Epic, which is involved with the healthcare yeah. space, right? A lot of these large, we're talking 400 unit complexes going into place. Whoever made the decision, right? Seeing that growth of Madison, that's a home run because you know there's going to be close to, if not 100% occupancy in these buildings. So I'd love to learn where are you putting your, your buildings, these projects? You know, I, I say Sunbelt, but there's a few markets, just like you mentioned, Madison is is yep. on our radar. Another uh, one on our radar is South Bend, Indiana. The reason why is Notre Dame is right there. Mm. And um, there's a lot of med and ed population. What does that mean? That's medical and education, like professors and things like that. And so mm-hmm. uh, we bought a really big project down there. And it was it's because of that vibrant, uh, it's become sort of a mini tech hub. It's become a yep. educational hub and, edu- you know, it's just attracting you know, high quality, uh, renters. So, yes. um, yep. that's, that's a very, um, poignant that you said, uh, Madison, cause I like Madison. Right. And I, I love that with, with businesses like yours, you're using that, the data analytics, the AI to really determine where the hot areas in the U S you know, you think of right away, okay, there's San Francisco, which we know is hot, maybe, maybe questionable because people are leaving to work remote, but there's yeah. other, so, yeah. So that's the interesting thing, Sean, it's like, you know, um, there's a flight to, uh, growth. You know, I, I was listening to your podcast where you're talking about Tesla and meta mm-hmm. and things like that, but sometimes there's these other opportunities of, of coming up of these, you know, up and coming companies. And so, you know, the Chicago's, the San Francisco's the New York's of the world, they used to be the hot place, but now right. because remote and virtual working has opened up the whole country, people are saying, Hey, you know, I want to actually want to enjoy amenities. I want to have space. I want to go hiking. I want to do all these fun mm-hmm. things and work. And so that's why, um, you know, spots like Phoenix have just, ex- you know, exploded yes. and 
Austin, Phoenix, Tampa, Tampa Austin, um, Atlanta, the Carolinas. These are the markets where we really are thinking there's a general sort of a boost in, in the local economies in the markets. That's that's interesting. It, it is very similar to the way we look at businesses because you want to find strong areas where there's going to be serious growth, like in the type of business models we look at. But in your case, it's like prime real estate, like what cities are growing the most with industry, like tech right away comes to my mind because I'm more of a a tech entrepreneur. Yep. Well, you're going to need homes. You're going to need complexes to serve those that are moving there. So that's awesome. Absolutely. Um, I really like your business model for multiple reasons because I've met with quite a few real estate investors on here that they'll do the work. They'll invest in like, let's say it's a single home or a duplex. You got to do the renovations. And then you're, if you don't hire a property management company, you have to go do the maintenance yourself. You know, I like this investment because it sounds like if you have a few investors out there, let's say uh, a busy professional, you've got doctors who are working with you. They don't have time to do any of that. They can give you the money and they're pretty much asking you, please deploy this so I can get my residual paycheck every month. I love that. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's exactly why I want to cater to this, you know, the the busy professionals out there, um, you know, moms and dads who, you know, they're working their W-2s, but mm-hmm. they have some income and they want to you know, deploy that. So one of the cool things is like we're buying a deal, for example, from Blackstone. And so like mm-hmm. this is starting to become a little bit more institutional level, meaning, you know, uh, a lot of big companies out there are buying similar types of real estate and they're buying you know, we can afford to buy maybe one or two of these projects at a time. They buy like eight of them. And so it's like, mm-hmm. it's interesting to see where the big money's flowing. And, you know, we keep an eye on that because it makes sense because they they obviously know things, you know, and so you want to, and, and I, I'm, I'm curious, does that, does the same thing happen in stocks where do you see where the big institutions invest and does that make a difference in how you invest? It's, it does to a little degree. It's not the main reason, but we like to focus more on the blue chips, the large cap stocks, which already have the institutional investors. There are investors that come to me every once in a while with small cap ideas. And they'll usually in ticker, you know, they'll be overpriced, they'll be red. <laughs> and and but they'll be they'll be speculating, but this industry is really growing or this could happen. Yeah. I always like to use the point like what about the big institutions if they're not getting involved yeah. what should you do you know yeah. you you on your own are not smarter collectively than let's say a thousand analysts at one company right you know and when i start phrasing it like that they're like yeah that, that's a good point i'm like let <laughs> let the big institutions play with their money first and then right. when it starts moving that's yeah. when you can go and let let them test. <laughs> you don't want to be the pioneer. You want to follow yes. the, the crowd a little bit. Yeah, I like that. Exactly. That's, we sort of do that too. We're like, all right, where's all the money going? Yes. All right, it's yes. a proven market. Let's go in and, you know, yeah. but you also don't want to be too late to the party. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. Some people wait years. Fortunately, with, with stocks, you get to a certain point. You know, share price is a good reveal. Like, for example, we've got education on our site that teaches people don't get involved with penny stocks. Anything that's less than $5, there's a 99.9% chance it's never going to break out past five. It's because institutions are going to touch it with a 10-foot pole. And then anything between five and 10, this is US dollars, um, anything between five and 10, there's a 90% chance it's never going to break out. So I tell people, let it break out past 10. When it starts to move a little bit and you start seeing some big institutions, that's the the green light. Like, okay, all right, I see you. 
Now yeah. put some money in. <laughs> so Sean, just just like you're saying uh, about that that tier system, we use yeah. a tier system yeah. in, in real estate. So uh, there's A, B, C, and D types of apartment complexes. So the D is like the war zone. You don't want to go anywhere near that thing. It's like, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it shows up on the news for not the right reasons. Yes. Then the C class is, is a good one. That's how we got started. It's okay. working force. It's blue collar. And there's a lot of renovations we had, but there's usually a lot of pop that happens. The only problem is during downturns, those are the ones who lose their job the, fir- the, mo- the first. Mm-hmm. And so sure. we like the A's and B's. The, the B's are essentially gray or white collar. Uh, they're in stable areas. And with a little bit of renovation money, you can really get them to that next level of uh, asset class. And they're, you know, like they, you say C's are like, you know, one paycheck away from losing every, their rents. B's are like, you know what? They got six months of rent built up. Yeah. They have the capability to handle, you know, their car breaks down. They can pay for the car and their rent, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the A's are people who you like to rent by choice. And so those are really good during, uh, you know, this part of the economic cycle. So we've graduated now to the B's and A's. And similar to your price point of when to invest in stocks, yep. I, I, it, just, it just caught my eye when you're saying that. I, I love how you broke that down because I've, I've had other people kind of dabble in the explanation and wasn't as clear. So that is that is actually crystal clear. I the in Rent by choice, because I know a few people, they've their kids have left the home. You know, they graduated yep. college. They now have gainful employment. They no longer need to live off the folks. And the folks are like, I don't want to cut my lawn anymore. I don't want to shovel <laughs> snow if yeah. you're in a northern state. And yeah. we're going to downsize in rent. We've got a little more freedom here. Yeah. So there, that's a perfect scenario. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yep. The, the, these are some of the strategies we like to use. And so, yeah, if you're, um, you know, if anyone is interested in finding out more, I think the first step is education. And so learning to like, you know, hey, what is a PPM? What is a syndication? What is a... How do I invest in an apartment complex? What does it all look like? Uh, is it, you know, where's my money held? Do I actually own the actual stock or do I own a stock or actually do I own the real estate? You know, and sure. that's the big difference between a REIT and, and a real estate investment with us. You actually own the dirt. You actually own a piece hmm. of that building. And so it's a tangible asset. Sure. So that's a nice place to be because if you were to sell, like, let's say one of these properties were to be bought for a really nice penny, everybody who is invested, they're going to get a piece of that, correct? Absolutely. And then also, that's also why I can pass on the tax breaks from owning real estate yeah. to my investors, because they're actually owners of the real estate, unlike the REITs, which we, I, there's nothing wrong with the REITs, but I, it, it's really more of a stock transaction versus actual real estate transaction. Sure, sure. Now, how long, because I know you're kind of doing this in parallel to running your medical practice. How long have you been doing this total? How many years? Uh, I started uh, real estate investing in 2012, and that's Got 2011 it. is when I started my cardiology career. And then um, 2015 is when I started the transition to multifamily. And Got so uh, 10 years of real estate, about seven years of the multifamily. Now, this is a fun question here. I always like to ask people a lesson learned or a mistake they made along the way. Can you share a story with audience? Uh, <laughs> a lot of mistakes. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's just about getting back up, you know, and then uh, believing sure. in in your premise that hey this this is going to work out, but uh, one of the things is partnerships. You know we've learned most uh, entrepreneurs, startups, companies. Uh, you need it's it's collaboration, it's relationship building, and there's a there's a quote that one of my mentors likes to say. He says your contacts get you your contracts, right? And so and your network is your net worth, and so it, it's you have a tendency to you know wanting to work with people. The problem is 
if you choose the wrong people, it can set you back a year, three years, or you can potentially derail your whole company. So I'd be very careful, no matter you know what industry uh, your your listeners are you know listening from, just be careful that the interests are aligned. The person who's being your partner is actually going to live up to their what they promised, and make sure that there's exit clauses. And if if possible, try to maintain um, voting ownership when you're ma- making your collaboration. So. Yeah, uh, those are sort of the basic, uh, uh, I guess, uh, lessons I've learned from that. Yeah, yeah, good advice there. What I'd like to do is flip that equation. Can you share with us your biggest investment win? You know, it was one of our early ones. Um, we uh, we bought this uh, sort of project in, in south part of Atlanta. It was our first deal where we were doing it ourselves versus partnering with other folks. And um, there's some economic bad news that happened. And so the initial uh, person who the deal was awarded to backed out and they gave us opportunity to come in. We were wondering, hey, look, is this, you know, I don't know, this is, this seems risky uh, because if they backed out, then why should we come in? But when we analyzed it, we looked at the numbers, we talked to the, you know, the city, we visited the property several times. We looked at all the data and said, you know what, that's an anomaly. I think this deal makes sense. And we went in and, I think we ended up buying the deal for um, five million, and we bought the deal next door for three million. It was eight million total, and we ended up selling it in three years for thirteen million. And nice. so that was like our that was like a really big win for us. And it actually had proof of concept. Hey, look, this actually thing this works, you know. And it yeah. did, gave us a confidence to say, hey, you know, maybe we can back off a little bit on our jobs and start focusing on this a little bit more. Great, I love it. Is there a question? that I should have asked, but did not ask. This is one of my last questions I always like to ask before we jump into the rapid fire round. Yeah, like uh, if real estate's so good, Vic, why, how come everyone doesn't do it? There we go. <laughs> that's a that's a good good question. I'm gonna have to steal that for my podcast, Sean. <laughs> so if you could answer that, yeah, that is uh, good. Yeah. All right, so uh, it, it is great. Uh, the problem, there's liquidity, right? If you need the money, in six months from now, it's hard to get that money out of a real estate investment because it's relatively illiquid. I mean, you actually need to sell the whole asset for you to right. you know exit. So that's one of the things. And and two is a lot of people are not patient with the time horizon. In general, most any real estate asset in general, if you hold it long enough, you'll be fine. The problem is people don't have that. Maybe you know they they don't have that time horizon sometimes. And so, um, and number three is don't buy on speculation. Try to buy on cash flow. Yep. You know, yeah, yeah. a lot of times people hear horror stories or bad stories. Uh, one, it's they try to, uh, if they're not professional managers, then they try to manage it themselves. That's usually a problem. Mm-hmm. And number two is uh, they're buying on speculation. They're assuming things are going to go up when the fundamentals are not there. So we buy on cash flow. And obviously, we hope that there's appreciation, but we don't need it for the deal to work. Right. You know, patience is the key word there. I extracted because there's a lot of people in the stock market too. They, they want to put in a hundred and then they let it sit. They'll let it sit for one month, two months, six months. And it's, well, it's not growing fast enough. It's like, well, you have to keep putting money in. That's one. And you have to be patient. This takes time. <laughs> so it's very similar to your situation. You can't just put the money in once and then you got all this residual. It's like you put it in, but you're going to have to keep putting in more, I imagine, to increase your residuals thereafter. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, awesome. What I'd like to do next is transition to the rapid fire round. This is where we get to find out who Vic really is. You ready? Okay. Yes. All right. If you can try to answer each question in 15 seconds or less. All what right. is your favorite podcast that you listen to? Uh, I like listening to Ed Milet. 
Hmm. What's uh, it about? His podcast, his podcast. He's like entrepreneur. He's a uh, successful investor, business guy. But it's it's on mindset. It's on you know growth. It's on uh, it just it's just the way he brings on really high sort of high powered guests, and he asks them really good questions to where you get you glean really tremendous information out of it. So interesting. Um, I'll check it it's out. It's called the Ed, Ed, Ed Milet Show. I'm writing that down right now. That's a good one. Um, all right. Next question. What is a recent book you read and would recommend? Uh, for anyone who's has any entrepreneurial bone in their body, it's called Hundred Million Dollar Offers by Alex Hormozzi. And this guy is just, he's essentially, you know, uh, retired. He's financially free. He's only like probably in his early 30s. But like he's sort of been to the mountaintop and he's like, it's not that it's not as impressive as everyone says. So I'll give an example. He just did a um, a YouTube thing on, you know, everyone wants to live this million dollar lifestyle. You know, I'll, I'll tell you exactly how much it costs to live a million dollar lifestyle. You want a private jet. You want to drive a Ferrari. You want to wear nice clothes. and You want to go to all the nice restaurants. You know, let me tell you exactly how it's not as much as you think. And he broke it down to if you can make $300,000 a year, you can live a million dollar lifestyle or a billion dollar lifestyle, whatever. So mm -hmm. I thought that was really cool that, you know, all, we chase numbers because we think that's what yeah. we need to live our life. But in the end, uh, you know, first of all, when you get the things you really were chasing, it's like, ah, okay, now what? Mm -hmm. Right. And then mm -hmm. so he's like, it doesn't cost that much. And then two, when you get it, you're probably not going to be, you'll be underwhelmed. Yeah. yeah. You, you arrive there and, and it's kind of like, oh, after after a week, really? That, that That's it. And after a month, it's like, OK, yeah. what's next? You know, <laughs> <laughs> so, I'll give an example. Yeah. I was uh, with my family in Italy for a whole month. I mean, it was one of my like uh, bucket list things like, you mm -hmm. know, can I leave my companies, let it run without me and go live in a foreign country with my family and just have a good time? And I did. And I was like, you know, at the 25th day, I was like, all right, I'm itchy to come back. I'm like, this right? is boring. No, it's good, but like, there's only so much pasta pizza you can eat. That's <laughs> it. Really good for the waistline. <laughs> yeah. So I was, I was, I was itching, and and that's when you know you have a uh, you're a calling versus a job, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. like if if so, someone would even if someone paid you not to do work on ticker, I I, I think you would say, forget that. I love what I do. You know? Yeah. I, I I love it. You're right. I mean, I go back 10 years. I was like still in that position. I want to find that business, something I'm passionate about, something that's a lot of fun to work on. Didn't have it. I'm like, man, I just want to build a business, sell it, and I can go do whatever I want. And it's funny how you do arrive, like you said, some kind of um, calling, you know, a passion. And you're right. I, I love doing this. So yeah, glad you're, you're there as well. Um, I got a few questions here that relate to advice. So what is the, um, we'll start with worst. What is the worst investment or business advice you ever received? Oh, that's too risky. I wouldn't do that if I were you. <laughs> I'm sure you heard that once or twice. <laughs> so it's essentially like your mom telling you not to get doing that. It's like, and the other thing is, look, you, you, everyone listening to the podcast, they've all trained in a profession or job. That doesn't mean they have to stay there. It just, right. that's just their what they chose at that time. So I really think the people of the future, we're probably going to have seven to nine careers in our lifetime. You know, I, I, I think our, our kids growing up, they need to learn to be super, they need to be meta learners and learn to be adaptable and flexible. And it's anything they're learning is essentially irrelevant in within 24 months to potentially a couple of years. Like all my medical school books are outdated. <laughs> Most of the stuff I learned in college is underutilized or not utilized at all. So sure. it's like, I consistently learn week to week, month to month, year to year. And that's what I use on a day-to-day -day basis. And so it's like be a continuous learner and um, flexible and adaptable, you know? 
Right. And that probably relates to, I was going to flip that equation there is the best business advice or, or right. investment advice. Yeah. 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 Uh, lifelong absolutely. learner. Yep. Cool. And one more question here is the time machine question. If you could go back in time to give your younger self advice, what age would you visit and what would you say? Take more risks, start earlier. Um, and uh, know that's all going to turn out fine. And then anything that I was like really emotional about have a little bit more, if, if there's a way to just say, you know, it just, just take it in more stride versus take, you know, fall apart. Emotionally. Right. Uh, there's right. things like, you know, breakups, quote unquote, not getting into something or getting into something, you know, and all these things in general, in general, they're you know, irrelevant down the road. So it's mm. like, you know, one of, uh, one of the, the mentors I listened to said one, I think it was Naval Ravikant. He says this, he says, only 1% of the decisions you make actually matter. The, the key is learning out what's the one out of the 99, what's that 1%. You know what? There's a lot of wisdom there because I try to remind myself of that too. It's like, if something is stressing me out or starting to increase blood pressure, I have to take a step back and be like, is this really worth it? Cause I bet in like three months, this is going to seem stupid or, or three years or whatever. Right. It's very much that. The other thing I've learned is, um, uh, at the beginning, you know, you want to ac accumulate a lot of money for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, most problems for most people, I think, can be solved for $100 or less. And then let's say you're having bigger problems. So maybe it's going to be $500 or less. And, you know, I'm at the point where it's like, okay, if it's $1,000 or less, I don't have a problem. Right. <laughs> so it's like, and what that means is money will help you solve all the money problems. And that'll let what you're left with is the other real problems that now you can focus on because right. you've solved all the money problems. So it's really important, I think, to create that financial wealth and then that, that cash flow machine. Right on, right on. Well, this has been great, Vic. Really appreciate your time, your backstory, and really how to get involved with your company if you want to produce some residual cash flow. So where can the audience reach you? Yeah, absolutely. Vikingmultifamily.com is our, our company. Our company is called Viking Capital. And we'd love to um, have an opportunity to like bring you guys into the fold, educate you, show you that these alternative investments that you know a lot of the 1% are using to really you know create wealth. So. Awesome. Well, thanks, Vic. We'll see you. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I just want to say thanks for checking out this podcast. I know you're Time is valuable and there's a lot of other podcasts out there you could be listening to. So thanks for taking the time to listen to my guest's story. If you did enjoy this podcast episode, could you head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review? That would be much appreciated. Thank you. And last but not least, on this podcast, uh, some episodes we do talk about stocks. And please keep in mind, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. So if you did hear any buy or sell recommendations, please don't make those decisions based solely on what you hear. All right. Thanks a lot. See ya.